0: Uh, We are in a series called How We Fight, and the question I'm asking is, how would Jesus and those New Testament Christians, those New Testament disciples, live in the culture, in this cultural moment that we have today? And I think it's a good question to ask. We're in a a secular culture that that seems to view the Bible and the teaching of, of Jesus as more and more, they see it as irrelevant. And so we have a real challenge, don't we, ahead of us. We see around us addictions and violence and culture wars and, and ideology. We see pride in all the wrong places. We see toxic behaviours and narcissistic leaders and there's polarised debates that always seem to be going on. Um, you know, people are angry. There's hatred, even all the way at the top, right, of, of, our, of our governments and in the media and stuff like that. It, it's like evil abounds. And you, you, you feel it and sense it, don't you, around us sometimes. We also feel the pressure of a culture that's increasingly labelling God's beautiful vision for for marriage and sexuality as something dangerous and hateful. And that that really challenges us. Jesus says, die to self, take up your cross and follow him. And the world says, put that cross back down and follow yourself. And our world makes it hard at times to to be followers of of Jesus. Not so much in our country, but particularly in other countries, though. But it's not surprising if you read the Word. If you are reading the Bible, those things don't come as a surprise to us. It's how Jesus and the New Testament Christians felt. We we do get a small taste of it at times, and so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be upset. In fact, what we do is we follow and respond the same way that Jesus did. And it means it's not time for us to bunker down and lock the doors. And that can be tempting sometimes in Christian communities. to become insular and, and inward-focused only. It feels like the world's against us. So we'll just... I mean, we do need each other, absolutely, when it feels like that, but we don't close the doors. And the key verse I'm, I'm leaning on in this series is from Second Corinthians 10, because Paul, Paul says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Like This is really important for us to understand. As followers of Jesus, it's different for us. We shouldn't have the same responses and methods that the the culture has. Yeah, we fight for God's kingdom, but how we fight looks nothing like the world. It's radically different. So in week one, we looked at the number one battle tactic for the church, and that is prayer, because prayer is where the real power is. It's not cliche, okay? I know that many of you have been going to church your whole life and you've heard a million sermons on how we should pray. It's not cliche. It's not for the weak and the timid. Prayer is where things change. Prayer is fighting in God's strength instead of our own strength. If you're concerned nothing ever seems to happen for God's kingdom on earth, it's probably because the Christians aren't really praying like he thought we should or thinks we should. And the New Testament church got that. You know, they dedicated themselves to prayer. You can't read Acts and not see it. That's what they did. They were, they were praying together. They were praying by themselves. It, was, it seemed to be every day. In fact, you sometimes read how Peter and John and the disciples, you know, they were praying like three times a day. And, and, and they, they liked it. You know, it wasn't just a burden for them. Oh, no, I've got to go and pray again. Okay, maybe that happens sometimes. But it seems like they really embraced it daily. It's part of the DNA of the church. And we've been meeting on Wednesday nights. Uh, Well, we've been meeting on Wednesday nights for years and years and years. But particularly in February, that's the push that I always give us every year. I think it's a great way to start the year. There's some photos, I think, is there, uh, Zach, that we've got from this Wednesday night just gone. It's so good to see about 50 to 60 of you coming in the last two Wednesday nights, it's our month of prayer and fasting. And my encouragement is to pick at least one. There's actually only two Wednesdays left in this month and come along. And if the idea of praying with a group of people is just, you know, that worries you, concerns you, you maybe you're a little bit fearful because you haven't done that before. You're worried you're going to say the wrong thing. It's okay. I just want to just tell you, just dial that down. It's actually okay. Firstly, you don't have to pray out loud. It's all right to sit there and pray quietly Um, to yourself if you want to do it that way. Although I want to encourage you to think about how you can talk to God with others around you because we can do that with each other. I know we can do it with God. So there's two Wednesdays left. I would love you to, the whole church, to come at least once. But more than once is even better. So I encourage you to please do that. Two to go. Prayer is the number one battle tactic. Amen. Number two is straight from Romans 12, 21. This is the second battle tactic. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And if I can just expand on that a little bit as a preacher, I don't want to uh, rewrite the Bible or anything like that. Don't let evil conquer your church, but instead overcome that by doing good. Don't let evil conquer your workplace. But instead, overcome that by doing good. Don't let evil conquer your city or your country. How we fight is different. We overcome evil by doing good. Don't let evil overcome your family. Conquer evil by doing good. Now, this is a huge topic. But this right here is how we fight. And last week, we took a look into some of the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, where Jesus said hey, if someone's going to hit you on one cheek, you, sh- you don't hit back. Jesus' followers don't hit back. They turn the other cheek. And when we kept reading through the Sermon on the Mount, we discovered Jesus took it another step. In fact, he said, you're not only going to not respond to that evil with evil, if we want to, because it, it's a form of evil. We're not only going to not respond in that same way in kind. We're actually going to do good in return. Like, that's really hard, isn't it? Remember, we were thinking about... Gee, that can be hard when someone's hurt us when we have to do good in return. And then when you kept reading Matthew 5, he, you know, Jesus goes all radical on us. And he says, we have to then love our enemies. And, and that's that's like that's that's a big step, that one right there. That's the, the hard one. And, and we framed it as, you know, there's this cycle that happens in our world, isn't it? Where people react to each other back and forth, back and forth. And we are called to break the cycle. And Jesus showed us how. Don't respond in kind. Respond with good. Find a way, eventually, with a lot of prayer and the Holy Spirit's help, to find love for that person who hurt you and break that cycle. It's so difficult that I actually think it's impossible in our own human hearts, but the Holy Spirit is there to provide us the power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, so this can happen. Is there another amen? This week... I was ready to move on to the third battle tactic, but I really felt like there's more to talk about this this um, this idea of conquering evil by doing good. So we're going to stick with uh, this this for this week as well. Battle tactic number two. We're going to keep going for one more week. Doing good to conquer evil is not for the cowardly. You know, we think that we have to be strong and strike back the same way that it came to us. Well, actually, no. To be strong and courageous is to do what Jesus said. It takes a strong and courageous man or woman of God to break the patterns of this world. And I guess last week, it was a very personal application of doing good to conquer evil. And it was. And that's where we have to start. Well, this week, I want to extend it out into the world around us where we see evil and how we respond, how we conquer it. By doing good. That was, that's the Jesus way. There's no way that we can cover everything, but I want you to pick up on that principle of breaking cycles. That's That's what we're looking at in our culture and in our society. So about 10 days before Jesus died on the cross, there was this moment that he had with his disciples and he preached a message about what was to come. And some of it was events that were about to happen to him in their time and some of it were events that were about to happen to particularly um, to Jerusalem and the disciples in their not-too-distant future. And then some of it was a time still to come even for us. And he talked about his eventual return, and we're in that in-between time right now. He urged us, you be ready. You be ready for when I come back. It's in his word. Being ready includes uh, being faithful to his commands and the mission that Jesus has given his followers. So I'm just trying to set the scene for today's scripture, okay? And it's Matthew 25. We're going to start at verse 31. So that's the scene. That's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and this is the part of his message to them verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world for i was hungry and you fed me i was thirsty and you gave me a drink i was a stranger and you invited me into your home i was naked and you gave me clothing i was sick and you cared for me i was in prison and you visited me and the righteous ones will reply lord when did when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you And the king will say, I tell you the truth, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. In other words, all of those examples of people around us in our world, it's Jesus. It's like Jesus. And you know where it goes from there. He then addressed the other group. And it kind of sounded a little bit familiar. But what he didn't see was... The actual things being done. When you read this passage, it seems that God did the sorting based on evidence of something really important. There's something about His followers that is uh, that has evidence of repentance. You know, there's the, the real evidence is compassion for others, compassion for those um, who are, are least. Not just for those close to you. The word Jesus says is the, the least of these. Or perhaps to frame it another way, is those who have needs that kind of um, exceed our own needs. Because the result of evil is that people are left behind in our world and they suffer and they miss out. You know, they're lacking. Be, you, we can be very quick to judge and say, well... Maybe they're in that, that situation because of poor choices. And I, and I just say, so what? I don't see Jesus actually giving us an out on this. I mean, who here hasn't made poor choices in their life? I mean, I'll get you to put your hand up, but I'm expecting none. I'm not expecting to see any hands up. Every person has a story, often that we don't know, but we're sometimes so quick to judge and overlook the fact that we've also done wrong and with a different set of circumstances, who knows where we would be. Many people grow up in, uh, you know, with very troubled lives and dysfunction, and they don't get the start in life and benefits that others do. And I know people can still make good choices and break that cycle themselves, but I'm talking about the heart of Jesus for all people. His heart is actually for people to flourish. And besides, I'm talking about our role to help break these cycles. That's the whole point of this message today. So instead of judging and dismissing people, our heart actually goes out to them for the situation they find themselves in. Some people genuinely have been dealt a difficult hand. They need our compassion. They need our support. Others, yeah, okay, they've made poor choices. They also need our compassion and support. Many people, we know people. We see it around us, stuck in addictions, alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs. There's sex addictions. There's stealing and anger and violence and... And these cause damage to themselves and the people around them. Many suffer from mental health struggles as well. Some have disabilities that through no fault of their own means that they sometimes miss out on opportunities that other, others have and others don't even see it. I've talked to a couple of our local politicians um, just a couple of years ago and I said, what's the big needs in our area? And, and both the two that I spoke to had the same answer. They said, you know what, in the suburbs around here in Brisbane, loneliness seems to be a big issue. Loneliness is a concern. All of these people are in this group that Jesus is talking about. I know he gave some specific examples, but it's that principle, isn't it? People who are suffering or, or in need, and for whatever reason it is, they might be hungry, they might be a stranger, they might be even in jail. We can be preoccupied at being upset at those who ridicule us or attack us for our faith, or we can fight back by helping those in need, like Jesus said and like he did. Let me just repeat that. We can be preoccupied at being upset at those who ridicule or attack us for our faith, or we can fight back against evil by helping those in need. Like Jesus said, we do good to conquer evil. That's how we fight. If you want to stick it to the devil, lift up a person who is struggling in life. I remember there's a, there's a pastor I know, and he was one of those uh, evangelist-type People that just, you know, some people that have that ability to, wherever they're talking to someone on the plane, and the bus or whatever, in the train, they, they just start talking about Jesus and the other person's listening. It's like, wow, that's a really good gift that they have. And this particular pastor said to me, whenever I feel like the devil's attacking me or having a foothold in my life, I go down to the shopping centre and talk to someone about Jesus. It's like, take that devil. You know, he's going to conquer evil by doing good. Then there's our concern about how our culture is now handling life issues Uh, mentioned this morning in the the prayer for Isabel in the hospitals. You know, the unborn and the elderly, the terminally ill. When I think, I do think that some people are genuine in their advocacy that that disagree with us. I think they're being genuine in some ways about abortion and assisted dying. But we're very concerned for the most vulnerable in our society. Sometimes we're concerned they're being discarded because it becomes hard. So how do we address these things? Because every life is valuable. Every life is made in, the, in God's image. That's why we Christians hold on to these principles. So valuable that God came and died for everyone to save us. So an unborn child is just as valuable as someone who's 19 or 49, that's my, my age. You know, someone who's 99 in year that near the end of their life, is just as valuable as someone who's 19 and 49. And I say this with love and compassion, knowing that some of you may have been through this yourself, and I want you to know that there's no judgment from me. You only need my full support and love and care. But life is precious to God, and it's not our place to end it. And how? So how do we overcome? How do we overcome around these life issues? You know, I remember when the the new abortion laws were going through Parliament in Queensland a few years back. I signed the petitions. I remember going into the city and doing the March for Life. Some of you were there as well, I think. But the laws still went through. I think we prayed every Wednesday night for months leading up to that. The laws still went through. So do we stop fighting? Well, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We conquer evil by doing good. Three weeks ago, I met two ladies from a a wonderful organisation on the south side in Brisbane called Priceless House. There's another organisation that uh, deals with with slightly different difficulties called Hummingbird House. These are Christian people doing things, doing good. But these ladies that came from Priceless House, they met with me. I didn't really know much about them. It was good to hear what they do. They support women who have unexpected pregnancies. They not only provide balanced information... They not not only talk through alternatives to abortion, something that sadly many in our medical community don't do, in my opinion, but they will support the mother and child during pregnancy and after with a huge range of services and provision and support. And I love what they do. And, And if that mother still goes ahead with termination, they still support her. They still support her. And they told me last year, 56 lives that were likely going to be terminated in the womb were saved through their services. And for offering this compassionate and non-judgmental service to Queensland women, the Deputy Premier labelled them a hate group in Parliament. Now that's disappointing, isn't it? But we overcome evil with good, so we fight different. We don't return fire with fire So while it's absolutely okay to contact the deputy premier about this issue, and maybe you could hold him accountable to his words, we don't do it like others might do. You know, we forgive him for his false accusation. We pray for him. We make sure we're a good witness to him. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians, because the battle's not against him. It's not against flesh and blood. We're not labelling the uh, deputy premier evil here today, by the way, just in case he somehow watches this online. (laughs) No, even if he wasn't, we're not doing that. We're doing it different to him. That's my point. We leave the judgment to God regarding priceless house. You know, we're talking about is there a a partnership with us as a church, particularly within our counselling service, um, that we could help them out in some way? And nothing's been decided yet, but we're praying about that, about that opportunity. But what they're doing is conquering evil by doing good. And that's just one example. Of a whole bunch of topics that we can take up the challenge that we see around us. You know, we see homelessness, there's, there's got to be a response to this because it's getting worse in our city. We can offer addictions, recovery, there's prison ministry, and I know some of you not only visit people, but some of you have been involved in prison chaplaincy over the years. It's fantastic. There's advocacy and support for long-term migrant detention. You know, we we would, as Christians, we would have concern for people who would get stuck in that situation, and, and it's not a good place to be, particularly for families. There's indigenous disadvantage and reconciliation. You know, we can have a voice in this space. You know, it doesn't matter what your politics are, because we care for people like Jesus did. There's huge issues with domestic violence in our country. We have teenagers in a lot of our cities with no purpose in life that we're seeing increasingly turn to things. you know, They're becoming like gangs almost in some of our cities. Our heart is for those kids, even though they might be doing the wrong thing against others. Of course, our heart is for victims too. But we do things differently. We fight differently. All of these things have a response that where good can overcome evil. When we compassionately bring support to these people in need, we do good in our way. We do our bit to overcome evil in our world, and hopefully we break a cycle that's, that, that we see around us. And I know some of you are already involved in these areas of need, and you've got my full support. support but I, the question I'm bringing today is what about us as a church? What about hills? You know, what are the needs in the middle class suburbs of Brisbane where we find ourselves? You know, who are the least around us? And to be honest, the needs are actually huge. They just tend to be behind closed doors more in the suburbs, I find. Shelley and I lived in New Farm for a couple of years when we were helping a church there, and the needs were kind of more obvious. They were right on the street corner. You could see them there. Around Everton Hills, they tend to be behind the closed doors. A few years ago, Mark McRindle did some research, and he asked about these needs to, to Australians, you know, suburban Australia. And what came out was things like support for relationships, you know, support for parenting, financial advice. That's, that's a big need that's coming up as, as things start to change in Australia at the moment. But um, something for parents to go to, like playgroups and things like that. Help Support for the elderly. Help with, with family breakdown. And this is why we do some of the ministries we do here. If you're new to Hills, I just want to let you know. We run a family support service that's been going for 20 years. And it's amazing. And every day, well, for several days a week, um, people come into that church office over there. Some from this church, but mostly not. People from our community. They come and get some help because they have these needs. This is why we also have playgroups. We've got two now. And it's just so pleasing to see so many parents showing up with their kids from this church and from the, the neighborhood around us. In fact, there was a, a, a lovely lady who came to faith recently out of our playgroup. She just moved back to Mackay with her family. But it was exciting to see that kind of thing happen. This is why we have a cafe and an op shop. You know, there's been times in our past when we, we, people have called us and said, I've got... You know, an organization or an agency has said, I've got this lady she's had to flee. For her own safety, she has nothing. And we just open the op shop. And we help them out where we can. It's not that common, but it has happened. For others, the op shop is like a, it's their safe place. It's their, it's the only time during the week they actually have friends and connections. And they're not all church people that that are helping down there. And it's wonderful. You talk to to Margaret Baird about that, and she'll tell you the stories I love it. Lots of connections happen. This week, it was so good to see families from our neighbourhood just sitting in our cafe drinking coffee while the kids had fun running around and using the play equipment and stuff like that. This is also why we're moving into some cross-cultural ministry, so I'm really glad to see the ESL training days coming up in a few weeks' time, and some of you are going to be there, and we're going to be helping new arrivals in Australia, or maybe even not so new, but those struggling with the language here, because that's a barrier for them to find their way and to flourish in our community. This is why we run the marriage course. I'm pleased to see some of the registrations. Um, At least one of the couple is unmarried and not from from this church community. I'm glad they're coming. I hope we can help them have a a good relationship. But more than anything, I hope that they see something um, and that we can help them with a spiritual need as, as well, if that door opens to them. This is why we run the Circle of Security Parenting program. That one's got a long way to go, a long journey. We're going to um, get that... The word's got to get out further yet on this one, into our community, because it's a need. You speak to a chaplain, you speak to a school teacher. Parent, parents need help right now with parenting, and the Circular Security program is international. It's very well regarded, and, we're, and our counsellors are trained to run it, and it's fantastic, and I can't wait for that to have a greater impact in our, in our neighbourhood. So while my, many of these... They may not seem like the least of these, there's absolutely some needs that people are crying out for that we can help with, with the love of Jesus and break some cycles by doing good. Our banners tell you what our mission statements are. It, we do this, those other three, we do them to bring glory to God. That's where we start. I was excited to hear the young adults are going to be I don't even know where Adam is. I'm looking for the beard. The oh, he's with the baby. <laughs> no, that's no, okay. But I was excited to hear that the young adults are going to make their way through those four statements because they help us to have a sense of purpose about who we are as a church. But we're doing it for God, for his glory. We want to bring glory to him. We embrace people. I hope we can see that in this message today and last week, that that's what we're about. We're about people. And sometimes it's hard to embrace people, isn't it? You know, it can be hard. We've got to find a way through with God's help because people need to feel that embrace. And we're planting seeds as we go about what we're doing. Seeds of the gospel. We want people to actually encounter Jesus and hear the good news. That's the Great Commission. What Jesus, the last thing Jesus told us to do before he left, you need to go and make disciples. So that's the last one about um, not just um, shallow disciples, not just a, a seed that's just below the surface with no deep roots, but... Us as plants with deep roots and a a flourishing plant and fruit that's like, you know, heavy and sweet and rich. This is what we're about. So the personal challenge for us this week is to go back to the words of Jesus where he rather bluntly makes the point that the goats and the sheep are actually identified by something. He picked it by something. And it wasn't about how many times they went to church. And it wasn't about, um, you know, how many scriptures they could recite. This is where I've got to be careful because I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. Salvation is through grace alone for those who truly repent and follow Jesus. But faith in Jesus can't just be words. Because words are cheap, or they can be. You know, I, could, I can stand at the altar and declare my vows to Shelly and put a ring on her finger, but if I then treat her the opposite way to my vows, are those vows real after all? You know, the, you could say they're dead, they're just words. My vows to Shelley should be revealed in my sacrificial love for her. They're witnessed through, hopefully, my actions. You know, not just from what you see, but if you were to ask her quietly... <laughs> Is that real? I hope she would say yes. I think she would. I checked just yesterday. <laughs> People hopefully can look at us and say that they're definitely married. Not because of a ring on a finger and a vows that I heard at a wedding day in this church 28 years ago. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. Um, but I do hope people can look at us and say so those vows are real. Still today. If we truly mean that we follow Jesus, people should be able to tell hey. And so I've got to go take it back to James now and remind you he said, if you see faith by itself, isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Such such strong words from James. Like he he doesn't pull any punches on that one. But it does align with what Jesus said about sheep and goats because they both thought that they were, both groups thought they were good. At our core, we the church have a heart for people who are struggling and need a hand up. We have a heart for people who have made bad choices. It's okay. It's okay. You know, we have a heart for people to find a flourishing in life like I think God's heart for them is. So I'm leaving you a challenge this morning. Who are the least in your lives or in your neighborhood or in your uni or your workplace or your family? Who are they? that you can help and do good to overcome evil. How do we break the cycles of dysfunction and evil in our community? It's not just, I get it, it's hard. It's, not, um, it's easy to say words f- from the front here on a Sunday morning, go out there and do good and people, lives will change and it'll be amazing. We all know that it's really hard to break cycles for people and to, to lift them up out of things. It's a long process, it needs a lot of prayer, it needs a lot of support for some people. But this is how we fight. We, we're human, but we don't wage war like humans do. We overcome evil by doing good. So this week, where will you see it? Where will you see the need? And where will we hear the words of Jesus in our mind and in our, in our hearts from Matthew 25? When I was hungry, or when I was thirsty, or when I was naked, or when I was in prison, or and then you can expand from there. What did we do? I think that's the question that all of us can ask in the circles that we're going to move through this week. What did we do? Because we're going to overcome evil by doing good. Let's pray. And Lord, we hear your words, and they're serious. this is how we fight. We're going to break cycles of evil and do good. And we're going to lift people up, each in our own little circles, God. We can't all do everything, but we can do our bit. We can't ignore it, God. We can't walk past it. Like the good Samaritan, we just can't keep going past what we see. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll help us this week. Help us to be a church, though, moving forward into the years to come. That more and more, God, we see Jesus in each person in need. Because that's what you said. What we do for the least, we do to you and for you. That's how we have to see people like Jesus. Even the ones that have done the wrong thing. Even the ones who have made bad choices, God. doesn't matter. We see them like, like they're you, in that sense. And God, we want to be a church that more and more does that. It's uncomfortable at times. It's challenging. But together, Lord, and with the other churches in your, this city, God, together, Um, it's possible for us to make this difference even when it feels like it's, it's getting away from us. It's not. Do what you said. Empower us with boldness this week to live like that, I pray in the name of Jesus.